Hi, my name is Spencer, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. As we're finishing our series, I love that we get to start our talk with communion. Because in a series called Death and Life, we need to know who the source of life is. And the source of life is Jesus. See, because Jesus died, we can be forgiven of our sins. We can find life. I mean, Jesus died so that we can live. And because of what he did on the cross, we can come before God and say, God, would you forgive me for my sins? Would you give me a relationship with you? So if you are here today, And if you have never surrendered to Jesus, then please, by all means, stop listening to me and start talking to Jesus. At any point, right now or at any point in the rest of this gathering, at any point throughout your week, all you have to do is just tell Jesus that you surrender to him. Just let him know you believe he died on the cross and rose again. And you want to be forgiven. You want a relationship with God. And the moment that you surrender, that's the moment that your journey of following Jesus begins. Now, if you're not ready to do that now, maybe you're here and and you're still trying to figure out what you think about Jesus, then we just want to encourage you to stick around, get involved, give us the privilege of getting to know you as you consider Jesus, because we think there's no better place to figure out what you think about Jesus than here in our family. And so that being said, the statement I'm about to make is something that you're probably not able to accept if you don't follow Jesus. But part of you deciding what you think about Jesus is hearing statements that other Jesus followers believe and live by and wrestling with those statements. So as a Jesus follower, here's what communion does. Communion reminds us that we need the power of the cross and the empty tomb to consistently bring life through our words and actions. That we need the power of the cross and the empty tomb to consistently bring life through our words and actions. Here's how those of us who follow Jesus know that. Because we've tried to change on our own. And we failed. There's only so much progress we can make in our own strength. But we need the power of Jesus. See, it's impossible to consistently speak life if we are unplugged from the source of life. It's impossible to consistently speak words of life if we are unplugged from the source of life. So we recognize that as Jesus followers, we need the patience, the self-control that Jesus demonstrated on the cross when he willingly allowed himself to be murdered on our behalf. We recognize that we need the power that Jesus used to overcome death and rise from the dead. See, our strength has limits, but his power is limitless. And consistency in our words only comes through connecting to the source of life and his limitless power. So with that in mind, what we want to do tonight is talk about one of the hardest habits to break when it comes to speaking words of death. And our launching point for this conversation is Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, if you want to follow along with us, it's also going to be on the screen. You can go ahead and get there. And as you're getting there, know that Paul is the author of Philippians. And when we meet Paul in the story, Paul is someone who's anti-Jesus. He's so anti-Jesus that he actually hunts down and helps execute Jesus' followers. But as Colin said earlier, Jesus changes everything. 
And when Paul met the resurrected Jesus, he was changed. Everything in him was changed by Jesus. And a guy who used to imprison and execute Jesus followers is now imprisoned for being a Jesus follower. And that's where he's at when he pins these words. As we begin in Philippians 2.14, just think about the fact that he is sitting in prison for the name of Jesus when he writes this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. The word do is a command. And guess what the word all means? Yeah, all. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, especially on like the YouVersion app, and you can scroll down and see the different translations, I'm looking for the translation that says, what I wish the author said. Anybody look for that one before? Like, you don't want to accept what he actually said, so you're looking for what you wish the author said. Here's what I wish Paul said. I wish Paul said, do most things. Or even better, do some things without grumbling or disputing. I mean, I wish there was a little star and an asterisk and Paul was like, hey, look, if you're single and you're grumbling about the fact that you're married, not married yet, I get it. I'm single too. I wish Paul said, hey, don't worry about it. You can grumble about that. Just don't grumble about everything. I wish that, that there was a little asterisk and Paul said, hey, look, if I had your mother-in-law, if I had your boss, I would complain too. You know, and Paul would just say, do some things. But that's not what Paul actually said. Paul wrote, do all things. But, but maybe there's a loophole in the translation. See, this letter wasn't originally written in English. It was written in Greek. So maybe there's a loophole around this all things. We look at the word grumbling. But you know what grumbling means? Grumbling. <laughs> Complaining, especially in private. It means murmuring about someone or something. And then we look at the word disputing, thinking maybe there's our hope. Well, disputing means arguing. The truth is if we grumble, about someone in private long enough that eventually we're gonna argue with them in public. And the outcome, the outcome of arguing and grumbling is division. See, through the writings of Paul, Jesus is asking us to stop one of the most difficult habits to break in regards to words of death. He's asking us to stop grumbling and arguing. And it would be hard enough if it was just, hey, don't grumble or don't argue, but we know that they're connected and they're connected here. And the worst part is there's no loophole. And if we're still looking for a loophole, I just remind us that Paul's sitting in prison in chains where he says, hey, I'm in chains. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. <laughs> this is difficult. So now do you see why we began with communion? We had to begin by being reminded we're being asked to do the impossible. So we need the limitless power of Jesus if we're going to do this. And if you're here and you're not ready to admit that you need Jesus, could you at least admit that you need some outside help? That none of us in the room are strong enough to resist the temptation to complain or argue every single time. And to make sure that we all understand that, that grumbling and arguing are words of death. I mean, think about how you feel. When you've worked your tail off, you've worked really hard on a project or something, and somebody rolls up afterwards, and just all they can focus on is the one thing, let's be honest, probably the five things, but we'll just go with one, give us the benefit of the doubt, the one thing that you forgot. And they're like, oh, that was good, but you forgot this, and that was terrible. How do you feel? Man, you feel defeated, torn down, because those are words of death. And have you ever, have you ever gotten to an argument that naturally drifted towards encouragement? No. If you want to encourage somebody, you don't go, hey, babe, I want to encourage you tonight, so let's argue. This is the starting point. No. That's not what happens. Arguing leads to death. So when we grumble, when we complain, when we argue, 
It brings death to others. But the thing is, death also comes back to us. The verse that inspired this series is Proverbs 18.21, and it's going to be on the screen. And here's what it says. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Here's what that means. If we speak death, we got death coming back at us. So if we grumble and argue, we got grumbling and arguing coming back at us. Now, two quick qualifications before we move forward. And the first qualification is simply this. We all need a safe place to vent. Paul isn't saying that we should never vent, but we need a safe place to vent. And earlier in this series, we established what that was. So just to revisit that idea, here's what it means to have a a safe and healthy place to vent. Number one, we start by being honest with our Heavenly Father. Our starting point is to tell our Heavenly Father how we feel. And second of all, we vent to someone who can handle it and who will guide us towards truth. Look, if you or I go to vent to someone and the result of venting to them is that we want to go and grumble and complain to everyone, else that wasn't healthy it's healthy if we start with our heavenly father and unload on him and then we go to someone else and that person guides us towards truth and the venting ends with that conversation so they lead us to walk away with the most positive possible outlook on the person or situation we are frustrated against so paul isn't saying not to vent we all need a safe place to vent and the second qualification is this grumbling and refining are two different things Grumbling and refining are two different things. Grumbling tears down and offers no solution, but refining is the process of making it better so it is solution-based. And what do you want to be? Do you want to be a grumbler or do you want to be a refiner? I think we all want to be people who refine and make it better, not people who criticize, grumble, and tear it down. Now, in my life, here's how this whole tension between grumbling and refining is played out. And I want to tell you this and, and also let you know about a schedule change that affects us a whole lot. So the schedule change will be on the screen, letting you know our summer schedule starts next week. That means that this is our last 5.30 for the summer. Can we all let out a collective boo? Boo. Yeah. I lo- thank you, Alex. I love you guys. Actually, I chose a black flower on this because it made me sad to put this. Um, but here's the thing. Our leadership, look, look we know. That the wisest, best decision is for us to take a break for the summer to give our teams a chance to catch their breath, to go down to two gatherings for a season, to bring the 530 back in July. But just because I know that's the best decision doesn't mean I like it. And so guess what I did when we made this decision? I began to grumble and complain because I miss you guys. I love you guys. The fact is, I love that some of you guys have chosen to be here so you can make room for other people in the mornings. I love that there may be some people in this room who worked this morning and got off work and you were able to come tonight. I love the energy. I love everything about the 530. I look forward to it every single week. So when we decided we are going to take it away, I just started complaining and grumbling. And then the Holy Spirit was like, why don't you shift that to refining? And I really believe the Holy Spirit gave me the idea of the survey that we did two weeks ago. If you weren't with us, we took a survey about the 530. We were able to get feedback from you guys about how we can make it better and bring it back better than ever in July. So you see the difference? One is grumbling, it's tearing things down, just murmuring, and the other is refining 
and solution-based. The problem, though, for me, and I don't know if you're like this, is I got to the point of refining, and then I drifted back to grumbling. We got the survey results in. The survey was awesome. There's a free response section that was really insightful. The problem is the survey format didn't organize those free responses. So I drifted back to grumbling. Oh, now they're not organized. How are we ever going to make sense of this data? I don't have time to do this. Who's going to do this? And just grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. And the Holy Spirit was like, <clears throat> didn't you guys just hire uh, ben Calhoun is your interim business administrator and isn't part of his job logistics. And so I just asked Ben, hey, could you organize this? And by his third day on the job, it was all organized, and now we can use that data. See the difference? At least for me, I naturally gravitate towards the complaining. And yet God wants us to be refiners who do all things without grumbling or arguing. But this is really hard. And so what Paul does next is he's going to answer what I think is the million-dollar question. And it's Why? Because let's be honest, sometimes we get joy from the misery of grumbling, don't we? <laughs> sometimes we get joy from the misery of getting in an argument and stirring somebody up. So why would we give up grumbling and complaining? Paul tells us in verse 15, he says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. See, here's what he's saying. If we don't grumble and argue, then we can be blameless. That word blameless means that we stand above accusation. That when people try to criticize us or accuse us, we stand above that. And our words really do matter, don't they? And then the word innocent really means faultless. Here's the idea. It's that we have a simplicity of character so that the external completely matches the internal. So that what people see is exactly what they get, that we're authentic all the way through. And then the term children of God without blemish, that's a reminder of our identity as sons and daughters of God. And it's not saying that we can be perfect, none of us are perfect, but this is a reminder that as sons and daughters of God, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. We have his limitless power flowing through us, and as a result, we should speak differently than those who don't follow Jesus. But, but some of you are here tonight and you don't follow Jesus yet because you see no difference between people who claim to follow Jesus and people who don't in the areas of grumbling and arguing. True, isn't it? Too often there is zero difference. So Jesus followers, tonight, can we just step up and own that? Could, could we take a bold step in this 530 gathering? And just say, hey, specifically to me, here is how I struggle in the areas of complaining and arguing. We're going to have a minute to do that. And if you do that and you're a Jesus follower, then that means you're taking a step towards owning it and saying, hey, there's not often a difference, but there should be a difference. And if you're not a Jesus follower, I invite you just to own it too. Because I think we all struggle in this area and we will find some common ground. So before you tell someone and just get honest with somebody, I'll go first. So a lot of you know me, and I'm a pretty positive person, so, so here's what I like to complain about. I complain about people complaining. I'm like, can you believe that she complains all the time? This is unbelievable. Or I get negative about people's negativity. He is so negative. It just bothers me. Yes, that's, I know that's ridiculous, but that's how I am. See, we all struggle with this in some areas. So let's take a bold step. Be authentic. Take about 30 or 45 seconds and tell someone around you, here's how I struggle when it comes to complaining or arguing. Go. All right, we'll let you finish up those conversations. It's not so bad, is it? Just to admit that we struggle with this. You know, admitting is the starting point. 
But Jesus doesn't just want us to admit that we have the struggle. He wants to change us and let us be able to overcome the struggle. And Paul knows this. So what Paul does at the end of verse 15 is he's going to cast some vision. The last line of verse 15 is going to be on the screen. And it's going to be in bold. And it says simply this. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. He said when we refuse... When we refuse to grumble and complain, then we are able to shine as lights in the world. What Paul's doing is he's casting vision. He's creating a mental picture of our preferred future. So to get the image Paul's trying to create, I want to invite everyone to close your eyes for just a moment. Close your eyes. When you open your eyes, there's going to be an image on the screen that Paul wants us to see. Go ahead and open your eyes. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that we can shine like stars. And you know what stars do? Stars don't just contrast the night sky. Stars illuminate the darkness. Stars are influencers who change their environment. And Jesus invites us to be the same. Jesus wants us to be influencers who change our environment. He doesn't want us just standing in the midst of darkness and contrasting to that darkness. He wants us illuminating the darkness. That's the invitation he has for us. And he says that we shine by refusing to grumble or argue. It's really that simple. It says that we actually begin to shine just by refusing to grumble or argue. Now, the other thing about this is he's saying that we shine in the midst of darkness. Now, I just want to say one little caveat there. There may be certain environments that you personally get in And you're unable to be an influencer because you are influenced. So you may need to withdraw from that specific environment. But our overall posture is that we are in the midst of darkness, illuminating that darkness. We are shining by refusing to grumble or argue so that we can change the environments we're in. And come on, think about the places that you spend the most time. Think about showing up at work tomorrow and refusing to complain. You would change the environment, wouldn't you? Some of you are single and have roommates. Imagine if you refuse to argue. Your roommate dropped the bait, and you're like, nope, not taking the bait. Not taking the bait. I'm refuse to argue. You would change your living environment. We shine simply by refusing to grumble or argue. So think about the environments, the places that you spend the most time, and think about how you can influence those places. And we think about that. It sounds simple, but the question is, how do we do that? How do we refuse to grumble and argue? Well, Paul in verse 16 is going to tell us how. He says this, holding fast to the word of life. The word hold fast means to hold firmly. Here's the question we need to ask. What am I holding? What am I holding? See, my problem, I don't know if you're like me or not, but my problem is that when I grumble and argue, I'm holding on to the wrong things. Oftentimes, I'm holding on to pride. And I'm thinking, I can do it better. I can do it better. And look, some of you, when you think I can do it better, you really can do it better. So to go to a different layer, imagine if you're looking at somebody that's lower than you in your organization, and you're saying, I can do it better. The question I would ask then, do you want to do everything? Or do you want to give them an opportunity to figure it out just like someone gave you an opportunity to figure it out? And if you're looking at someone above you in your organization going, I can do it better, I can do it better, then i got to ask this question. Are you doing all the little things necessary in performing your job with excellence? You may look at your boss and think that your boss has nothing in common with Jesus. Get that. But your boss and Jesus have at least one thing in common. Maybe just one. But one thing in common is this. 
If you are faithful in the little things, they will trust you with more. If you are faithful in the little things, they will trust you with more. So when we find ourselves looking up at someone and saying, I could do it better if I was up there. I could do it better if I was up there. We got to ask, are we doing all the little things? Are we being faithful with little things? Because we're not faithful with little things. We'll never get the more. Here's the second thing that I hold on to when I'm grumbling and arguing. Insults. Slights, however you want to call it. You ever had this attitude? <laughs> you overlook my idea, so I'm going to try to trash yours. All right, Cool. So our organization decided to ignore my idea, so I'm going to blast yours and try to tear it down. I'm going to do everything in my power, use all my influence to make sure your idea fails. Because we're holding on to insults. But, but Paul, Paul challenges us to not hold on to pride and insults, but to hold to the word of life. You know what the word of life means? The word of life means the story of Jesus so here's what Paul is really saying. He wants to challenge us. We ask the question, what am I holding? To hold firmly to the pattern of Jesus. Would we hold firmly to the pattern of Jesus? Because when we begin to consider the word of life, we begin to consider the story of Jesus, here's the pattern that we find. We find a pattern of humility. If you want to read more about that, take some time this week and read through the first part of Philippians chapter 2. It tells this beautiful story of Jesus humbling himself. Of the fact that Jesus is God and left heaven. Yeah, heaven to come to earth. That is humility. And not only did he leave heaven to become human and came to earth, he continued to humble himself on earth by dying for you and me, by dying for the very people that killed him, dying for his enemies. And so when we see the pattern of Jesus that includes humility and we begin to cling and hold firmly to that humility, then we can't hold on to pride. And we think about how Jesus handled insults. You know, he's on the cross and people are mocking him and insulting him. And he simply just looks out and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If we hold firmly to that pattern, then we've got to release the insults and slights that we've been carrying around. Because the thing is, if we hold firmly to the pattern of Jesus, we don't have room in our hands for pride and insults because we are so full of the reckless love of Jesus that all we can do is just pour out that reckless love on others through our words of life. So what are you? What am I holding on to? And then Paul's going to get really personal and just give a plea at the end of verse 16. And he says this, come on guys, would you hold to the word of life? So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Here's what Paul wants to know. For you business people, Paul wants to know what his return on investment is. Paul wants to know if he's going to get a good ROI. Because Paul's saying, look guys, I have poured out my life for you. I've sacrificed for you. So would you hold to the word of life? Would you hold firmly to the pattern of Jesus so that I can know that I invested well, here's the thing, following Jesus is never a solo act. There are people who have invested in you and invested in me who have poured out their lives for us. And when we choose to grumble and argue, we are wasting that investment. 
So Paul says, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of those who've invested in you, would you hold to the pattern of Jesus? And not just for the sake of those who invested in you, but for the sake of those who are in the environment you spend time in, living in darkness, would you hold to the pattern of Jesus? Would you refuse to grumble and complain so you can enter that environment as a star that illuminates the darkness and you can be an influencer who changes your environment? It's the power of simply choosing to say no to grumbling and arguing. As we begin to land the plane for this talk and really land the plane for this whole series, there's a question that's been mulling in my mind for a few weeks now. I wonder if some of you have been asking it. And it's simply this. How do we measure our words? You know, it's great to know that we don't need to complain or argue, but for a lot of us, it's so ingrained in us that we don't even realize we're doing it. So how can we leave this series and, and measure if we're refusing to grumble or argue? How can we leave this series and measure if we're truly speaking words of life instead of words and death? Because this isn't just a series that we did for five weeks and we're just going to tie a bow on it and leave it and move on. No, we pray that this series changes us permanently. And that we become people who speak words of life more and more and more through the days, the weeks, the months, and the years. So how do we measure our words, really what we need is we need a litmus test to close the series. In science, a litmus test tells us if a substance is a, a base or an acid. So what we need is a litmus test for our words that lets us know if we're speaking words of death or words of life. And in James chapter 3 actually gives us a litmus test. So as we end with this litmus test, the challenge is going to be on the screen. I want to invite you guys to take a picture of that or write this down. But here's the challenge to make sure that we go out from this series and continue to change. It's simply this. Will we evaluate our words by James 3, 17 and 18, once a week for one month? Will we use this litmus test to evaluate ourselves once a week for one month beyond this series to make sure that we truly are refusing to grumble and argue. We truly are choosing words of life. So here's what that would look like. James writes this in the litmus test. Verse 17, he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Right off the top, he cuts straight to the motives. What's the motives in our words? Something we need to evaluate once a week for a month. What are our motives as we speak? Are we pure? And he says, then peaceable. In other words, am I a peacemaker? If you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that talk because the whole talk was about cultivating the mindset of a peacemaker. And you can access that talk through our public church app. That's a question we need to ask once a week for the next month. Am I a peacemaker with my words? Am I gentle? You know what that word means? Considerate. If we're just speaking and going, I'm just going to say it, I ever want to say it, and you're just going to deal with it, that's harsh. That's not gentle, that's not considerate. But when we choose to be gentle, then we realize that our words affect others and we consider what that effect would be. And then, whew, gets harder. Open to reason. What's my posture? Am I speaking in such a way that I'm trying to display my superiority? Is my posture arrogance as I speak? Or am I open to reason? Do I have the posture of humility? When I enter a conversation, do I genuinely think that I can learn from the other person? Am I open to reason? This is full of mercy. Am I giving others the benefit of the doubt? We want others to give us mercy. So are we giving mercy to others 
through our words and then full of good fruits. Do our words and actions line up? If we're speaking words of life, are we also bringing life through our actions? Impartial. If you want to know what James means by impartial, in James chapter 2, he speaks to his audience who had a problem with giving special favors to the rich and neglecting the poor. So, so a question for us to ask is, am I judging people based on their appearance? Am I speaking to people a certain way because of what they look like? Am I impartial? And then, sincere. Am I authentic? Is there pretense and show in my words, or am I just authentic? And then in verse 18, the second part of the litmus test, James says this, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Are my words making peace? And this harvest of righteousness phrase, here's what it means. That as I speak, I improve the lives of others. I am speaking words of life, and I'm leading others to speak words of life. In other words, I'm a star who's illuminating the darkness. I'm an influencer who's changing the environments I'm in. So again, we return to that question. Will we evaluate our words by James 3, 17 and 18 once a month, once a week for the next month? This morning, I texted two guys who are leaders in other churches. They're part of our podcast audience. And said, hey, you've been tracking with us through this series. Would you guys hold me accountable to this? Because the thing is, we need to evaluate ourselves. But if we just evaluate ourselves, we're still going to miss things. We all have blind spots. So will we evaluate ourselves? And would we invite someone to evaluate us as well? To speak into our blind spots. And whether you're here at the 530, whether you're part of our podcast audience, whether you follow Jesus or whether you don't follow Jesus, this is a challenge for all of us. That we would just evaluate ourselves so we can be people who speak words of life. So public worship is going to lead us in a song. Just invite us to reflect. Maybe you need to send a text and say, hey, would you hold me accountable? Personally, I'm going to read on Tuesday and evaluate myself every Tuesday for the next four weeks. What's your day? Who's your accountability partner? Will we truly be people who leave this series and continue to speak words of life? Because if we will, Jesus will use us in powerful, powerful ways. So just take this time to reflect, and when you're ready, I invite you just to stand and sing about the grace of Jesus that makes this change possible. So Jesus, I pray that as we dive into James 3, 17 and 18 over the next four weeks, that you would change us. I pray that as people who don't yet follow you, read those words, and that you would just stir in their hearts and lead them to surrender to you. And I pray that for those of us who already follow you as we read that, that you would just measure our words through that. And you would make us stars, stars that shine and illuminate the darkness around us. You would just change us to be influencers in our environments. It's only possible through you, Jesus. So would you do a work in us that only you can do?